This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Forgiveness is what it allows a person to do is to hold space for all of the layers of their pain and their suffering, to acknowledge it in themselves, and to go through the act of really letting go of the hope that it could have been different than it was. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll learn how to avoid slip and fall injuries. We'll find out about mindfulness and self-forgiveness. We'll discuss weight training safely at home. And lastly, we'll talk about cognitive therapy for stress. But first, a little bit of business. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy, enjoy the detox, enjoy the great taste. Purely natural, liquid greens. Joel Thuna is a master herbalist and general manager of Purely Natural. He strives to improve the quality of natural products in the market and passes along his knowledge of herbal remedies through lectures and articles. Joel is a regular contributor to Tonic Magazine and the show. Welcome back, sir. How are things, I guess, would be my first question. Things are actually doing okay. Harrowing week where I uh, slipped and fell in the trying to get through it and recover, but other than that, all is well, thank God. When I write my publisher's note, sometimes I extract from my personal life, and I know that your personal experience has led you to the topic of discussion today, which is slip and falls and how we can avoid them and and why they're relevant, et cetera, et cetera. So what are the implications of a slip and fall? Well, what ended up happening was with my fall, it got me thinking. I laid there, it got me thinking about preventing slips and falls, because I I knew from previous experience that it's a massive industry that caters to people trying to help them with health issues after falling, but it, it hit me quite literally, or I hit it, saying, wouldn't it be much better just not to fall in the first place? And, and I started doing some research and realized that most people don't realize the toll that falling actually has on us, how one simple little whoops can change your life, uh, like tripping on a rug or slipping on a wet floor. If you fall, it, it's quite often that you break bones. Luckily, I didn't. But thousands of Canadians do it every single year. And unfortunately, as we age, a break can be the start of a more serious set of problems, such as trips to the hospital, injury, and, and worst-case scenario, permanent disability. Yeah, and it becomes more serious as you get older, right? Like, I know for a fact, having, you know, knowing people in the medical industry and having loved ones who are older, a slip and fall could lead to a hip break or a leg break. And once the mobility is gone, it affects your ability to socialize. It affects, you know, your strength. It affects, it impacts so many aspects of your life that you're probably not thinking about at that point, yeah? 
Oh, definitely. And one of the weirder things about it also is, is it forces us into a loop because the problem is as you rest and rehabilitate, what ends up happening is you end up losing muscle tone, which makes you more likely to fall again. Right. You're Let's entering t- the non-ending loop. Right. For those who don't recognize it, what are the statistics for people in, in slip and falls? It's quite nasty, actually. Over one in three seniors age 65 and older are likely to fall at least once each year. And those are Canadian statistics. Falls are the leading cause of injury-related hospitalizations among seniors and contributed to over 73,000 hospitalizations during 2008 and 2009, which is the last year we have records for. Hmm. Each year, hospitalizations due to falls account for approximately 85% of injuries-related hospitalizations for seniors, and one out of five falls causes an injury serious enough to be as a broken bone or a head injury. Yep, those are big numbers. And one-third of seniors that are hospitalized as a result of fall end up being placed in long-term care. And we all know that's not how we want to go. Exactly. Yeah, no, so the implications are if we could avoid slip and falls, perhaps we could avoid uh, some of these fallouts, which aren't inevitable. So what are the major risk factors for slip and falls? Well, the first thing is, and you said it right, but the first thing is we have to make people understand that most falls are preventable and they don't have to be an inevitable part of aging. I know in my family that conversations come up and it's an, oh yeah, well, it's going to happen. Well, no, no, it doesn't have to happen. We have to think that minimize the risk factors to make sure it doesn't happen. Right. And the, the research has shown that most of the risk factors include lower body weakness, vitamin D deficiency, actual difficulties with walking and balance that can often be corrected, medicines, uh, specifically tranquilizers, sedatives, and antidepressants, as well as common over-the-counter medicines, vision issues, foot pain, or foot, poor footwear choices, and home hazards. And it, it's worth noting that the vast majority of falls are actually caused by a combination of the factors. It's not one thing that causes it. It's two things or three things put together. And those together give you the much greater chance of falling. Okay. So we've identified the risk factors. And, you know, I was just sort of like going over in my head and thinking, okay, yeah, you can deal with that. 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 So maybe, you know, for the last part of this discussion, we can go over some of the things that we can do to deal with those risk factors, which I think, you know, are within everybody's wheelhouse, I would say. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So the the number one thing, what's the first thing you should do if you think that, you know, there may be risks of, of slip and fall? First thing is have an open and honest chat with your healthcare provider about your concerns about falling and about risks and prevention. In this conversation, you want to go over your medications, supplements, yes, include supplements, with them to ensure that none of them are unnecessarily increasing your risk. Because even though you may have been prescribed something or taking a supplement that you started taking in your 30s or 40s, as you age and the number of things you take in increases, the way the medicines actually work in your body can change. Some of them, or combinations of some of them, can end up weakening your muscles, reducing your balance, or even weakening your bones. All of those 
can make falls more likely and also makes them worse. So have an open conversation where options can be discussed. Okay. That is where it starts. The next thing I know that you want to talk about is one of my favorites, and, and that is exercise. So why don't we explore that for a bit? Definitely. You know my opinion. I always ask the question, is there anything exercise can't help us with? Right. <laughs> it's well known and clinically proven that regular exercise improves your health in tons of different ways. Add now improving your balance and strength to the list. Exercises that improve your balance and make your legs stronger lower your chances of falling. Period. End of sentence. It also helps you feel better and more confident. And by doing that, you're going to exercise more and get stronger and reduce your risk even more. It it puts you in a positive loop. And you don't have to go out and pretend you're Lou Ferrigno or Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just start doing proper exercises, getting a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, because every little bit makes a difference. A good example of this is Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. Tai Chi is something simple. You don't have to break a huge sweat. You're not going to get muscles that you can just <laughs> grotesque, some people would say. That's not going to happen. It's just doing things, exercising properly, getting things moving, and getting your muscles to be stronger, your, your bones stronger, and help. Now, remember that exercise doesn't just help your muscles. It actually helps strengthen your bones and your tendons. And it's the combination of those three things that actually work to counteract some of the effects of aging. Yeah. And and I would say, you know, the types of exercise that you're doing, I mean, your point was you don't need to bulk up. And that's true. I think it is important, however, you know, like the biggest health benefits come from doing nothing to doing something. Right. So even, you know, I know you agree because you do a fair bit of walking yourself, walking, just walking. I mean, it sounds counterintuitive because you don't want to slip and fall. But presuming that you're wearing the right gear, like proper walking shoes, or maybe you need some support if you're walking or, you know, dressing in layers if you're going outside when it's cold. The more you walk, the better you're going to be at it, and you shouldn't be afraid of it. Because once once you can't move, then it becomes impossible to then you know restart moving, right? Like you have to keep up with it. Oh, definitely. And one of the things I can say, which is is right on point with this, is my wife and I were walking. I think it was two nights ago uh, in our neighborhood, and one of the ladies who passed us, and yes, she passed us, had to have been in her mid to late seventies with a walker. Yeah. And she was just zooming, very confident, and, hey, more power to her. There's lots of ways you can improve both your flexibility and your mobility without doing, you know, hard exercise. This is, what we're talking about now is not is not getting a sweat. It's It's like using your body in a way that allows your body to continue to be used. Definitely, and also heal. That's a big thing also because the more fit you are, the faster you heal as well. Okay. What comes next? What else would you recommend? Big one is... Get your eyes checked regularly. As we age, our vision will slowly decline. It happens with everyone. If you start at a great level, great. But a lot of us didn't start at a great level. And you just want to make sure that you don't have that out there because poor vision or just a little bit of even cloudy vision, what it does is, A, it makes your life more difficult in hundreds of other ways, but at the same time, it makes it far more likely you're going to fall because realistically, you're just not going to see things that you're going to end up tripping and slipping over. Right. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's stuff like night vision and, you know, being able to see in 3D and, and, and sort of clear vision. All these things are going to help. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. What else? Here's the big one. And I didn't know this. The statistics are that of all the places you could be, 
just under half of all slips and falls actually happen inside your house. Not huh. outside, etc., but right inside your house. And it's worth noting that the vast majority of falls occur in bedrooms, kitchens, and dining rooms, specifically. So what you want to do with that in mind, you want to make sure that your house isn't your problem. So you want to remove any tripping hazards, papers, books, clothes, anything that are on the ground, and then just make sure they're not something that's just obvious that you could trip over. You want to make sure that you get rid of throw rugs or use really good quality double-sided tape to make sure that they don't slip. Because if they slip and you're on them, guess what? You slip. A simple thing like put railings on both sides of stairs, not just one. That way, if you're going up or down, you've got something to hold on to. Keep items you use often in cabinets that you can reach so you don't have to do something like get a step stool or a chair, end up leaning and falling. Have grab bars installed next to and inside of your tub and also the toilet. It gets harder and harder for many people as they age to actually lift themselves up and pull themselves properly. And if you don't have something nice anchored and strong, odds are you're going to fall. Use non-slip mats in the bathtub and on shower floors. That's an easy one because everyone knows a wet wet surface makes it slipperier, and obviously if it's in a bathtub or a shower, it's going to get wet. Yep. And make sure you have a lot of light. As we age, we need more and more light to actually see the same things we used to see well everywhere. So just make sure you have more light and brighter bulbs everywhere you need. Good advice. Now, let's switch gears and talk about supplementation because I'm intrigued to find out how supplements might help you prevent a slip and fall. Not a problem. Supplements are my bailiwick. Yep. <laughs> Vitamin D is a big one. Vitamin D levels directly affect bone health and muscle health. Low vitamin D blood levels are associated with low muscle strength and falls. If you supplement daily with vitamin D, it's been found that it can increase muscle strength bone strength and directly reduce the risk of falling. Now, when you're doing it, ideally you want to pick a clean oil-based liquid vitamin D supplement. And the reason you do is vitamin D itself is a fat-based nutrient, so it needs to be inside of fat to be absorbed properly. Okay. Next one is vitamin K2. You know I love it. I know you do. Particularly in the stable bioactive MK7 form. I call it a warrior against falls. It helps your muscles work better, it increases your strength, and it also increases your muscle output. At the same time, MK7 increases the amount of calcium deposited into your bones, making them stronger and more resistant to both osteoporosis and fracture. Again, you want to ideally pick a clean oil-based liquid MK7 supplement, as vitamin K2 is also a fat-based nutrient. Okay. The good news is you can now get both of them together in one organic, clean, oil-based drop. So one less supplement you have to worry about, you just take two and one. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned calcium a moment ago, and I gather that's probably another nutrient that we should be focusing on. Definitely. Now, most people will think, okay, calcium, I need that for strong bones. And they'd be right. But what most people don't know is that also you need calcium for your muscles. Muscles require calcium to contract. So without that, your muscles and even your heart would stop working. Hmm. Calcium is actually so vital that if it's too low in your muscles, 
your body will rob it from your bones. They'll use it to be like a bank account to feed your muscles. So what you want to do is make sure you get enough calcium to cover your muscle requirements as well as your bone requirements. And to do that, what you want to do is make sure you take the right form of calcium because there's tons of forms out there. Ideally, when I'm doing it, I choose a high-absorption powder, something like a calcium-potassium-phosphorus complex. And the reason I do that is because your bones just aren't pure calcium. They have other minerals in them, such as potassium and phosphorus. So you want to do is get them all in one shot, which are complex together. And that way, it just goes right into your bones and everyone's happy. Fantastic. We have time for one last quick one, and that is protein. Definitely. Protein is vital. And the problem is that as we age, the deck is stacked against us. There's a condition called sarcopenia, and I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. And what it is is actually muscle loss due to aging. Mm -hmm. And it is part of the normal aging process. But what happens to us is as we age, even if we maintain the same weight, so our weight is fine, our muscle mass starts to decline. Some of it are natural consequences of aging. Others are preventable. A healthy diet rich in muscle feeding protein and regular exercise helps to reduce it and can even reverse it. But here's the big thing. We naturally reduce our food intake as we age, particularly protein. So we can't just get it all from food. We have to realize that and we have to supplement with it. So the good thing is if we do have a decent diet and also supplement with a high-quality protein, that can reverse this improve our balance, increase lifespan, and increase your quality of life. Well, that is good news. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Always, it's my pleasure. You'll come back next month? Definitely, wouldn't miss it. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. You're a genuine health enthusiast listening to this show today. And Activation Products is your dream come true when it comes to living in a perfectly healthy body. Reclaim your health, cleanse your body, and extend your life. Activation makes all this possible by providing you with the best products for your best health. Activation products can elevate your whole body's health in ways you had no idea were possible. No matter how old or how young you are, it's their mission to deliver to you the most efficacious health products available in the world today. Treat yourself now and find out what it's like to live in a perfectly healthy body, making every day a joy to be alive. Go to ActivationProducts.com and start your journey on reclaiming your health. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Tracy Sograti has an eclectic background in molecular biology, psychology, and nursing. 
She practices psychotherapy and yoga therapy and has over 20 years of experience in leading classes, workshops, and events. She believes that the tools of mindfulness pave the way for a deeply meaningful life at any stage. And you can find her at tracysograti.com and Sograti Yoga on Facebook or at Tracy Sograti on Instagram. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. Always a pleasure. Always interesting. So now I've set you up. I've built you up. And we're going we're gonna to talk about forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, we are. I was, you know, I was really excited to talk about this, mostly because I noticed I was being really hard on myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, as soon as I noticed that, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be our next episode. We obviously need to dive into this. Yeah, I think everybody has their own idea of what forgiveness is. Yeah. But maybe you should define it for the purposes of our discussion today. Yeah, I mean... I think it's really important for people to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper, you know, when they have a bit of space and and actually define it because it is a multidimensional structure and it kind of pulls in your values, your morals, your ethical standards. And it's really a process that you go through, which, which allows for your own internal transformation Mm -hmm. around things that have been painful or hurtful for you in the past in terms of your relationship to others. And we're talking about forgiveness of other people right now, which is sort of not the focus of the show. But what we do know just about forgiveness as a general concept is that it really relieves guilt, shame, self-criticism, and the tendency to self-harm, whether we're doing that physically to ourselves or psychologically. Okay, so that's sort of, I guess you could say that is what forgiveness is about, right? Yes. Yeah. What gets confused for forgiveness? Yeah, I think the thing that gets confused is people thinking that forgiveness is somehow condoning or excusing or justifying, forgetting, pardoning, or being really lenient around something that was either painful or oppressive or, you know, a criminal act. And it's really not any of those things. If I could paint a picture, what forgiveness is, what it allows a person to do is to hold space for all of the layers of their pain and their suffering, to acknowledge it in themselves, and to go through the act of um, really letting go of the hope that it could have been different than it was. I struggle with forginess. Uh, you, you know, you know, I'm particularly hard on myself. We're going to come to that. But yeah. I, I think it also manifests on me being hard on others as well. I've got a long memory. And, yeah. you, know, you know, like it was, it's funny. I was socialized by my parents, like forgive, but don't forget. But that's yeah. hard. Because, you know, if you are remembering transgressions or if you remember people, you know, that crossed you or, or, you know, even if it's benign, but you still were impacted by it. Like, so, for example, somebody doesn't recognize that perhaps they've done something, but you still feel it. It's really hard to move forward. At least it is for me remembering. Right. So it's almost. But I hear what you're saying. You know, like I think, you know, ultimately, I believe it's healthier to forgive. I I actually do believe that it's just a real challenge for me, a real challenge. You know, I thank you for saying that, because I think you're speaking to something that is true for for most of us, to be honest, whether you want to admit it or not. And the thing is, is part of what you're also speaking about there is rumination. 
so that remembering, that retelling of the event over and over. And and you're right, it is hard to come into forgiveness because when you're retelling the event, whether you you know your brain realizes it or not, your body is re-traumatized. So it's almost as if your body is re-experiencing it every time. And so that does make letting go of the hurt of it much more difficult. Yeah, I can certainly get myself worked up if I start yeah. thinking if I start thinking about things on those terms, right? Like I can I can I can do it. I'm capable. Yeah. Let's talk about self-forgiveness, which is sort of like a subset of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like one core, it's one facet of the whole overall picture. So, self-forgiveness is it's, I mean, so critical. And I think it's easy to understand it if we understand what unforgiveness is towards yourself. Okay. So when you have unforgiveness towards yourself, it means that that rumination that you talked about where you're replaying the thing with someone else, it's turned inward. So you're reviewing, excessively reviewing, all of the things you've said or the things you've done or your perceived failures or your perceived inadequacies. So you're reviewing that. And that leads to, because it's this constant cycle and your body thinks it's real, everything your mind's doing, your body believes it's real. So it leads to this guilt and shame and high levels of personal distress. And, you know, the the tricky thing is that when we feel internally distressed, two things happen. One, we get, you know, there's a lot of inflammation in the body and we end up having all kinds of things like diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So it's, it's not great for our health. It impacts our sleep. But it also, it inhibits our empathy because when you're in personal distress inside, right, and this is where that relationship between the two comes in, forgiving self versus forgiving others. Like if you're in high distress inside, it is hard for you to feel safe enough inside yourself to be with another person and not think that they're going to do something to harm you. Mm -hmm. From a practical level, I would say this. I think it's natural for everybody to revisit their past, right? To think about those situations where perhaps you didn't behave properly or, or you, you know, you did something. And I think if you're just rehashing those thoughts, it is not terribly constructive and hurtful yeah. and painful, and you can physically relive all those shames and whatever. But if you are reliving those events for a purpose, in other words, to actually learn something about yourself mm-hmm. and perhaps change mm-hmm. and, and perhaps try and improve, I actually think it's a worthwhile endeavor. Yes, yes. You've just nailed it. You've totally nailed it. And what you're talking about that right there is doing something skillful versus unskillful. And I mean, this goes, you know, like if we look at the origins of mindfulness, this is exactly what the Buddha said. You know, look at your mind, review things, do things that are skillful, abandon the things that are unskillful. And that's exactly what this is about. I guess it's easy to say that, right? But it's hard yeah. to do, right? Which is, which is, we, we always revisit this concept when we're talking yeah. about mindfulness. Like it's, it's yeah. painfully simple, but it, yeah, it, really it is. but in order to execute, it really takes perseverance and a plan, I think. Yeah, it really does. And there's a few steps you can go through. And then there's there's a meditation I actually want to suggest to people. But the steps are basically like, first, you got to build your awareness, right? So look at your thoughts, look at your feelings and learn the difference between thoughts and feelings, because most often people mix them up. Mm-hmm. Understand your physical reactions and then how that perpetuates your behavior. And really also what you're looking at is how do the consequences of your behavior reinforce your negative thinking patterns. So that's the whole cycle there. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be willing to hold space for 
all of your feelings and accept them first before you can go through the act of actually replacing your self-condemning feelings with self-affirming feelings. Okay, but the next step that I'm going to say, this is the gold, okay? So if you get nothing else out of this interview, this is it. You have to decide to align yourself with your values that you violated. What does that mean? So it means, okay, if you are berating yourself, let's take a mom, okay? Yep. If you're berating yourself because you had a fight with your daughter or your son, and you don't like the way that you behaved, because one of the things that you value is regulating yourself and having discussions with your kids that are based on mutual love, trust, and respect, okay? Mm -hmm. Then say if something's happened, you can go through the process of acknowledging you were in a hard place, you didn't behave the way you wanted to behave. But if you just keep doing the same thing over and over, just the skillful versus unskillful, you're always going to cycle in and out of shame and guilt. So you have to make the decision to realign yourself with your values and move forward as hard as it may be and do the thing that you value versus dropping into a state where you're just behaviorally acting out all of your internal mess. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> you know, no, no, but of course it makes sense, right? I think I'd like to skip ahead to the exercise because I think we've demonstrated, you know, what we should be doing, that ideal yeah. paradigm, but I think we need to help our listeners get there. Yeah. How about that? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, so what I'm going to suggest today is an ancient Hawaiian meditation. It's called Ho'oponopono, and it means to make doubly right. And it's a beautiful, it's four lines, it's a mantra. Mm -hmm. So you're just going to sit with yourself. You can place your hand on your chest if you feel comfortable with that. You picture a situation that's not too activating at first, something that you feel disappointed about in yourself. And you say to yourself, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And you repeat it over and over and over and over. Well, that sounds great. I'm going to say, what was the first one? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're out of time. What was the next one? <laughs> Please forgive me. Please forgive me, but come back again soon. The Absolutely. third one? Thank you. Thank you for being here. And last? I love you. I love you too, Tracy. What are we <laughs> going to talk about next month? <laughs> We're going to break down the essence of mindfulness. Fantastic. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss weight training safely in the home on The Tonic. Looking for natural supplements to boost your immunity? New Roots Herbal can help. Whether it's rebuilding your immunity after an illness or simply maintaining a healthy immune system year-round, New Roots Herbal is here for you with a wide range of proven formulations. Discover Protector, Astralgus 8000, Ultra Zinc, and their best-selling Vitamin C8. If you're looking to build your immunity from within, look no further than New Roots Herbal, available exclusively at your local health food store. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. 
Tim Irvine is the CEO and co-founder of Totem Health. In 1995, Tim and his wife Stacy moved from the prairies where they grew up to Toronto with the hopes of continuing their education at the doctorate level. Luckily for Tim, he fell into personal training where he and Stacy would soon become managers and co-owners of what would evolve into Totem. For Tim, it was a perfect blend of hands-on service and managing people. To hear him tell it, he hasn't worked a day since. Fast forward to today and Tim has taken his 20 plus years of industry experience, the many lessons of business ownership and his passion for working with people to help Totem evolve into one of the fitness industry's most respected companies. Thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you? I'm very well, Jamie. Thanks a lot for having me. A pleasure. So your lovely wife, Stacy, is a frequent guest on the show. So, you know, I understand you are itching to get on the show. <laughs> so you can help us with this topic today. And that is how to set up a gym and how to work out at home with weights. Because I think a lot of people want to do it, but it's not quite as easy as just doing some push-ups and, and sit-ups. There's some equipment you need and some things you need to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's obviously become uh, much, much more popular in the last 14 months. And it's still very difficult to get equipment, period. So right. having a little bit and understanding how to use it is is very beneficial and, and actually quite easy to do, but also easy to do wrong. Would you recommend that people exercise with weights at home? And, and if so, why? I would. And I think that the biggest reason is basically once people hit their mid-20s, which typically coincides with a decrease in overall levels of activity, they definitely stop moving their bodies in a way that really challenges them. So less running, less hill climbing, uh, sprinting. A lot of people don't move any kind of weight at all. That that could be carrying things, what have you. So in that uh, early to mid-20s, we start the decline using our muscles. And what ends up happening is we actually, over the years, have a decline in overall muscle mass. And what we know, and we see it all the time, is when you have a decline in muscle mass, eventually that catches up to you with reduced levels of mobility, ability to actually do things that are physical, you know, or following that pattern for 40 plus years, you get into your 60s and, and all of a sudden you really can't do the things that you used to. So you're, you're old before you need to be old uh, from a movement standpoint. So having some weights at home actually makes a big difference in maintaining some of that muscle mass. And the good news is it is recoverable. It's not gone forever. You can always rebuild it. Good. So I actually, we, we have a pretty well outfitted gym in the house. What I thought would might be helpful to people is I'm just going to mention some items. We'll play a little bit of a game and you tell me whether, you know, whether or not it's important and, you know, you can do different levels. So we can talk about just outfitting a basic gym and then, you know, some things to think about with these various pieces of equipment. Okay. Sure. Okay. So let's start easy. Dumbbells. You can have a full body workout with just one dumbbell. It could also be a pair of dumbbells of the same weight. Mm -hmm. uh, if, of course, if you've got the flexibility to be able to have a full set, even better. Again, the more variety, the better it works. But if you know what you're doing, you can have a program that actually gives you a full body resistance workout with only a single dumbbell. And if you were outfitting a gym for somebody who's middle-aged or maybe a little bit older, what weights would you recommend for people that maybe wanted to get three different weights? I think light, medium, and heavy, and that's going to be individual. Sure. So somebody that's stronger would need something that's obviously starting at a heavier weight. But typically, I would say a 10-pound pair, a 20-pound pair, and a 30-pound pair would give you some really good options for a whole bunch of different types of exercises. Cool. What about barbells? If you've got the space for them, I love them. And most trainers do love them. There's lots of things that you can do, again, from a variety standpoint. 
I guess the biggest thing with a, a barbell is you can load on more weight than you can with dumbbells. So right. at a certain point, dumbbells start to get a little bit dangerous if you are you know, doing a, a bench press either from a bench or from the floor. Right. And if they're heavy, you're more prone to injury, even just getting them into position to lift in the first place or getting caught with them or what have you. So if you're using a barbell with some plates, you can load that up fairly heavily, and that is a tremendous workout for your entire body doing an exercise for example like deadlifts which are probably the trainer's favorite exercise overall yeah. because it's a full body exercise even though you're lifting from your legs you're using your low back your core your arms uh, muscles in your neck and it's very good for posture when done properly but it's also one of those ones that you do need to know how to do it properly especially if you're using a barbell but we love barbells so if you're getting barbells, would you recommend them if you didn't have a rack or if you didn't have a bench or would you buy those in combination if you really wanted to use them? The great thing is there's so much flexibility and variety in equipment out there now. It really is quite amazing. So there are many different businesses that sell this kind of equipment now. So there's a standard Fitness Depot, Treadmill Factory. There's an online store called Rogue. Yep. And they all have these different rack options and ones that take up very little space but are sturdy and safe. So you could start with something as simple as two stands and that could serve, you know, bench pressing, squatting, you know, getting the bar off of that rack. I do tend to recommend that people you know, spend a little bit more money. Don't go for the cheapest option when it comes to the racking because you want to make sure you're getting something that is sturdy. So typically I'll say, you know, here's a few options for you. You know, start with the middle option and then go up from there because there's not a huge price difference between the two. And in terms of the safety that, that comes with it, I think it's, it's well worth the extra expense. Would you recommend kettlebells for anybody? So yes, but again, the kettlebells Typically, you do a lot of swinging with yep. kettlebells, yep. and when you get into swinging, if your body's not ready for it, you can run into to problems pretty quickly with, yep. with injury. So making sure that you had some good guidance, so that's either through a professional or a learn-to tutorial that's well-regarded and well-reviewed, I think that those sorts of things are great. And again, you get immense variety from a kettlebell, so the same thing goes for kettlebells, as I mentioned about dumbbells. You can get a full body workout with a single kettlebell. That's the right weight for you. And they're they're awesome for core activation and strengthening and stability. But again, you do need to have some good guidance around how to use that piece of equipment for all the reasons I, I just mentioned. Yeah. So why don't we shift gears a bit? So let's talk about some of the concerns you might have with somebody working out, you know, let's say in their basement gym with some weights. I can think of one offhand and that is you know, being able to check your form and, and maybe getting somebody to work out with you, a spotter or somebody to watch you. What do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. Having a mirror or, you know, a video to really watch the technique that somebody's using as a demonstration is great. But having someone to give you some feedback uh, makes a big difference. If that's just not an option, the other thing you can do is you can set up your phone. I mean, everyone's got these video cameras on their phones now. So, just to do a set of your reps with a very lightweight or no weight to begin with to check your form and compare it against that video that you're, you're watching that, that gives some guidance on how to do uh, these exercises. I think that those sorts of things are important because it's amazing. Even for, for us as professionals that have been at this for so long, we don't 
<laughs> we probably don't spend enough time assessing how we're doing the things that we're doing. Because, as you know, elite athletes have coaches for a reason. They're, they're constantly making fine-tuned adjustments to an athlete's technique. So, so why wouldn't the, the general population need the same sort of guidance and approach? So I, I do recommend that you know, some sort of visual feedback, whether it's coming from somebody else, a video, a mirror, is important to, to make sure you're getting that sort of technique. But having somebody there, I mean, like to spot. So, for example, if you're if you're ramping up, if you're doing bench presses with a barbell, for example, like when I work out in the gym, there's always somebody spotting me. Are you okay with people working out at home without spotters? I think if you're going heavy, then you need you need a spotter just from a pure safety standpoint. You know, and accidents happen for a reason, and they're rare. Yep. Right? So, if you're bench pressing as an example, and you're going heavy, if you're accustomed to lifting a certain amount of weight and it's a heavier weight, fine, that's good, but if for some reason, you know, one of the structures in your upper body uh, just gives way for who knows why, yep. it's tired, it's fatigued, and you didn't notice, and or maybe you tweaked it and didn't notice, and now you're stuck. And you don't want to end up in that situation because, you know, unfortunately, in rare, rare circumstances, people do get seriously injured if they're going heavy in, in some of these activities. So I think I think there's a bit of common sense that goes with this. If you're as an example, doing bench press, and you've got a heavy weight above your head, of, and a heavy weight could be something that is tough to lift five or less times, yep. you know, that could be a vulnerable position if something goes wrong. So thinking about those sorts of situations and making sure that you're, you're putting yourself in the safest possible uh, situation will be important. Okay, we have time for one last question, in that, and, and you can decide where you want to go with this. Any sort of recommendations for warm-ups or warm-downs that you think are important for people to know? Yeah, I think that the simplest way to do things, if you know what your workout is, so let's say that you're doing a full body workout and there's going to be some, some squatting, some push-ups, some pulling, you can go through those same sequence of movements with no weight to begin with, right? So let's say yep. it's a program that has eight different exercises. So you go through, if it's squats, you do a, a set of squats without weight. If it's lunges, you do lunges without weight. If you're going to do bench press, as an example, you can do a set of push-ups as your as your warm-up. Mm-hmm. If you're doing uh, any kind of pull exercise, let's just say a single arm row, or if you have TRX, you're, you can do pull-ups with a TRX. But doing things that have lightweight, light resistance, or no weight are great ways of not complicating things and going to some sort of specialized warm-up. Having said that, if you have some direction on a type of warm-up that is, is important, so I'll give you an example for me. When I do my warm-ups, I don't only think about that literally getting the blood flowing. I also think about you know my sticky spots, so right. things that I know I have some issues with. So a big one, if, when you're using squats as an example, is the inside of your thigh close to your knee. So getting those to be active and engaged is important for getting a good squat. Same thing with your the top of your glutes or your butt muscles. Having those activated are important. So I think about this, being able to do some rolling and activation exercises to make sure that all those muscles are turned on in the right way to get into the type of activity that you're doing. I think that that's more important if you're lifting heavy, but you know, taking a simplistic approach, if you're thinking about, well, I'm not quite sure what, how to warm up, do the exercises that you're going to do in your workout with lightweight or no weight, and that will be a nice warm-up for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is my pleasure, Jamie, and enjoy the sunshine. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss cognitive therapy for stress on The Tonic. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm not only the host of The Tonic Talk Show and podcast, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic's a health and wellness publication distributed with the Globe and Mail to each and every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. And it can be found free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA. You can learn more about Tonic Magazine at tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, check out the new look of Tonic Magazine. Nutripure is a Canadian company which formulates and manufactures natural health supplements over and above industry standards. Since 1989, it set itself apart by providing a line of products that not only reduce symptoms, but target the causes of specific health conditions. In addition to its offering of superior products, NutriPure has always been there for its clientele with around-the-clock customer service led by health professionals. Talk to their experts on social media about their stress and anxiety product, Relax LT, containing magnesium, L-theanine, Skullcap, Linden, and Chamomile. NutriPure. Your health is their commitment. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Paul Allen is the global leader, research and total well-being and senior vice president at Morneau Chappelle. Paula is focused on the current and emerging issues that impact health and productivity and related costs. Her scope includes all areas of well-being, social, physical, financial, and mental, and she's a well-recognized expert in all areas of workplace mental health, learning strategies, disability management, and drug plan management. Welcome to the show, Paula. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be here. Me as well. So, you know, we've exhausted pretty much every subtopic of COVID that you could possibly conceive of, because I think none of us figured it would be going on this long, but yet here we still are. You know, my great concern, obviously, you know, nobody wants people to get physically ill, but I've been pivoting for the last few months on the mental health aspect, because I think that's a real, real issue that we're not really paying enough attention to. What trends are you seeing in this regard? Well, I'm glad for your pivot. <laughs> this is It's a huge issue for our society. And when the pandemic hit, it really pulled the rug right out from under us in terms of our mental health and well-being. So change, uncertainty, you know, the feeling of not having control, all of these things our, our minds do not like. So what we saw at the beginning, um, and we measured this through our mental health index, is a significant decline in mental health across the population. We, we look at the working population, and the biggest news is that it actually hasn't improved all that much. So, you know, even as we're you know, moving forward and we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the toll that this has taken on us is really persisting. I mean, it's not a shock, right? I mean, you're working, I'm working, I see it. We're in different sort of venues. My experience since COVID is it's not so much that what I'm doing is different, but everything is just more difficult. And in other words, there's, I call it the layer of schmutz that permeates every step of what I need to do in order to do the work that I've been doing for years. And it must wear on people. It must. Well, the layer of schmutz is probably going to become a clinical term soon. I know. <laughs> but there are a number of really serious layers to this, this situation. So, number one, as I said before, you know, the, the level of stress of this kind of disruption can't really be underestimated, especially fairly traumatic. When you see change in your life that you have no control about, even positive change, we actually find as human beings stressful. You know, you can see your stress hormones go up, and that's measurable. So imagine all of this change in work, in social uh, situations, relationships, and the way you actually express them have changed. The level of uncertainty is huge. So all of that is a backdrop 
on top of that, a lot of us really needed to have a whole bunch of adrenaline going through our veins at the very beginning just to figure out how to cope. You know, you're working from home, you've got health and safety protocols, I can't get a mask, or should I get a mask? It's all of this put a drain on us. And what we saw is that adrenaline had us do amazing things, but it's not sustainable. So when we had that drop, we have now such emotional fatigue. And that is what people are experiencing right now. We've had a tripling in the level of burnout. And over and above even those two things that I'd mentioned, things are just practically not the way they should be in order for us to have what we call recovery. Yeah. And I I think they're being introspective about the work that they're doing. A very good friend of mine was actually my roommate in law school is one of the top legal recruiters in the country. And he has never been busier with people who are busy moving from firm to firm looking for that difference. And it isn't money driven because all the law firms are having amazing years. It's about being valued and, and how the work is perceived and all the collateral issues, which are not at the forefront usually with these moves. Well, yeah, people have really taken a pause right now. And in a crisis, you really kind of take a step back and look at your priorities and seek purpose. I mean, having that kind of purpose and meaning, sometimes we don't really pay attention to it in busy lives. But when things, you know, don't sort of literally slow down because you could be very busy, but they change, you start to really look at at what is meaningful in your life. And a lot of people are. We've got, you know, 24% of employees and actually, more than 30% of managers looking to leave their current job. And that kind of contemplation only started since the pandemic. We understand the stresses, and they're different for different people. But also, I think we have to consider people as individuals. In other words, there are people that are better at coping with stress and people that aren't necessarily as able to cope with the stress. Is the pandemic affecting people differently? Is that what you're finding? Oh, yeah. For, for many, many reasons. Many of the reasons are actually situational. We found younger Canadians, like as post-secondary students in particular, have been extremely hard hit. So the disruption in school, but also the uncertainty about, you know, next stage in, in career, what it's going to look like, the right path. And also when you think about it, like it's the, that post-secondary age group, your typical age when you're in post-secondary uh, school, that's a vulnerable time because it's such a huge life change period in life anyway. And one of the biggest mediators of that, one of the things that actually uh, help people through is social connection. So having your peers, having that social circle, and that's been very disrupted as well. So that group is extremely vulnerable. And there's several others as well. Parents, <laughs> their mental health scores have been lower. You know, you're, you're dealing with your own issues, the fact of your children and practical things that are happening and a great deal of concern about the mental health of their, their children. And people without emergency savings, interestingly. So if you don't have that cushion, contingency from a financial point of view, and this is regardless of your income, for people even who had high income but didn't have emergency savings, they were faring a fair bit worse in terms of coping coping with this than others. And the only last thing that I would say is that, you know, those who are doing better, like if not necessarily from a situational point of view, but how they're actually coping, we found people who focus on gratitude and recognizing others and those who have maintained social connections, even if it is in a virtual way, 
Like those things are are really separate that group, and they've been doing a lot better. And the group that's been doing the worst is the ones who's really been focusing on helplessness or, in particular, anger. That that emotion has been very damaging for this time. A few moments ago, you threw out some statistics regarding people in management and people who are reporting. Are there any other interesting findings that you're you're seeing with those two groups? Yeah, we found a lot of things being upended as a result of this pandemic, and this was one of the most surprising ones. So typically, you actually find that people who are leaders, their mental health and resilience is slightly better than those who are non-leaders, and for many reasons, like, you know, you've learned problem-solving skills, you're a little bit older, access to resources, etc. That's been flipped. So we're finding now that the mental health scores of managers are actually worse than their teens. And if you take a step back, you know, managers are people too. They're dealing with everything everybody else is, their children, their anxiety, all of that. But they're also dealing with the responsibility of making sure that the business moves forward, making sure that their people are okay. The majority actually feel that their job has changed significantly because of these added responsibilities. And that's wearing, weighing very heavily on their mental health. Well, my wife manages 25 people at her job, and I can see how her job in the pandemic has sort of changed and not necessarily the subject matter, but like what is actually consuming her time. And she's putting out more emotional fires than she ever had to before. That's for sure. Well, actually, that was a key point because we asked uh, managers, you know, what are are they dealing with the mental health issues of their employees and four and five, but they had to deal with something at least once. Either they've observed a behavior change or somebody has come to them. So that's, you know, 80%. And only a small portion, 25%, felt that they were equipped to deal with it appropriately. You, know, you don't want your manager to become a, a counselor. You also don't want your manager to ignore what's in front of them. There is an appropriate way to show empathy and guidance to the next step and, you know, show flexibility if that's what's required. And unfortunately, only 25% felt that equipped to manage uh, the situation that the majority have been facing. Shifting gears to more practical question, I presume it's impacted on productivity. I would imagine that's what the stats say. Yeah, without question. So be careful about which stats you listen, look at and make sure you go a little bit further because there's some, there's some things that are published out there that say productivity is maintained the same or it's gone up. But when you look at it, what's happened is that people are working more. So they're working, productivity uh, seems to be better because they're working two to two and a half hours more. When we actually looked at it in terms of productivity in a unit, if you put it that way, a unit of time, we found that people were more distracted, they were more lethargic, and definitely there has been a productivity decline that has been masked by increased hours. And that's a band-aid that doesn't really work very well because it actually contributes to the exhaustion that's going to show itself uh, very shortly. So I know I felt better when I got my jab some some (laughs) weeks ago. My frame of mind completely changed and I'm noticing it in people that are close to me. How's this manifesting in the workplace? Is there more optimism? looking, we ask, you know, I ask people what they're looking forward to, you know, what is making them op- op- optimistic, and it is the job, it is the fact that we have are having this rollout, so we are looking forward to a different type of life situation, but, you know, think about what we have gone through. When, when there is a trauma, and, and again, all this uncertainty, all of this disruption, you know, I'm not overstating the word by using that word trauma, when you go through a trauma, just because the event is gone, the impact doesn't necessarily go away. It takes a lot longer. 
And our numbers are, are showing that. So even as we're moving forward and even as we're sort of, you know, uh, seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, our view of our own psychological health is continuing to go down. Our isolation is still the way it was before, actually a little bit worse than it was in April of last year. It takes more than just waiting for things to get better from a risk point of view in terms of, you know, the, the virus for mental health to get better. So that really is a call to action. We can't be passive about this. It's uh, very interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Joel Thuna, Tracy Sograti, Tim Irvine, and Paula Allen. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. The May-June issue is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to every home subscriber in Toronto west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always reach me by email at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Next week on the show, we'll discuss health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.